Greetings, friends of the apocalypse. This is Podcast Act Round Zero, episode 54, post-human board game. We are going to be talking about the post-human board game, which is an apocalyptic board game. I am Jared, the apocalypse nerd Wallace. He is Adam Bongancy and special guest. We are having Sean Brown from Mr. B Games, who was the co-publisher of the post-human uh, board game, which was a very uh, successful Kickstarter that launched it. And for those of you who haven't never seen it, here I have my monstrosity of a game here. This thing, what? How much does this weigh with all the expansions, uh, Sean? This has, has this is a couple pounds right here, about five pounds. Five pounds, yep. Yeah. Oh, see, I paid attention. It's a, it's, it's a very big game. It is a tile uh, and card. Five familiar. pounds. The, the post office must have loved you guys. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, we are going to be talking about this game because, again, I, I was a backer myself on the Kickstarter. Uh, I, by the way. Oh, oh, you're very welcome. Very welcome. Uh, again, as you know, on this show, we love all things and talk about all things the apocalypse. So I thought this would be a good thing to cover. Uh, you know, because it's not. I mean, there is apocalyptic games out there, but as much as we have board games. So, uh, but at least they're not right now. But I thought this was a really cool one, very interesting concept. Um, the only thing we're going to start here in just a second. The only thing I'm going to do uh, off off uh, topic is because I, I keep on forgetting to show this. Was I want to show Scott and the audience uh, something my wife had got me for for Christmas. Uh, she had gotten me these. There's a company that makes these minimalist movie posters and they're made out of they're made out of metal they're really cool and I she got me the minimalist movie posters for the road warrior and mad max oh, you're, getting a little, you're getting a little reflection off of them but I can see oh, the yeah. so that's a metal sheet that is that is metal right there it's metal okay. and I gotta hang it with a magnet it's yeah it's I, I still haven't taken them out of the wrapper so Mm, those look good. You get a little reflection off them, but I can see. Oh, yeah. So that's a metal sheet. That is. That's. That is that's metal. A, right there. It's metal. We get a little feedback, sir. Yeah, I still haven't taken them out of the wrapper. Okay, so. who's got uh, who's who's got the podcast open? Sean, you have it open in another window. Yes. <laughs> All right, you gotta not do that. No, that was that other link you guys sent me. Apparently. Oh, okay. All right, so, so, the other, so, uh, so, so there you go. There is the, there there's the delay apparently of uh, how long it takes for it to go to go live. So yeah, so all so those f bombs, right? That I dropped, they're all gone now. No, they're never gone. No, we, we, no, we're, we, we're, we don't we don't edit. We're too lazy. We're, no, we're we, we we curse like sailors. So and I, I had I had made it. Uh, that it is explicit on iTunes, so they can't give me any gruff. Uh, I mean, not that we're like you know. You know, fuckity fuck, fuck, fuck all the time, but we do, but we do curse. So, sure. <laughs> all right. So the I just want person, to... the only person we've ever edited for is James Ward, and as much as we like you, you're no James Ward. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I just want to show everybody that. Okay. So, post human the board game. Like I said, it's a pretty big box. It is a post apocalyptic. It is. You know, I'll show just a couple things real quick uh, for the viewers. You know, it comes with this really nice. You know, folding play mat uh, here. I'll just show that real quick here. You know, of course, the people who are just listening to the audio will never see that. Um, and the game comes with a boatload of components: tiles, cards, falling chits, uh, meeples, 
all kinds of really good stuff in this game. It comes with custom dice, custom chits, markers. Um, it's got the uh, the play card, the the play the player cards. So it's got it had a lot, a lot, a lot of stuff in it. So uh, so we're gonna talk about the game. So the first question I'm going to uh, ask you is just, Sean, give us an overview. I, I talked about it a little bit, but give us an overview of what the game is. What is what is posthuman? Uh, so the concept of post-human is that you're one of the last few uh, human survivors in the post-apocalyptic world, and you've heard a rumor of this last, like, human city, this fortress. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like the place to be, and uh, they're not taking any new people, but the thought process is if you get there and you're one of the first ones to get in there, maybe you can still get a, a, a spot, you know, maybe you can get inside and kind of have a better life. And uh, that's kind of what sets the tone, so all the players are human survivors, and they're all trying to be the first person to get in there to kind of, you know, try to get out before all the other mutants get around and, and uh, take you over. Cool, very good. Scott, you're, you're muted. <laughs> Still muted. He's waving us. He doesn't hey. like us. He, does, he doesn't want to. He's still I'm talking. Leaving, I'm waving you off. C continue. I'll get the oh, microphone okay. later. Okay. Yeah, so uh, and along the way, along your journey, you're going to run into all kinds of different um, challenges, mental challenges, physical challenges, fights. Uh, you're going to cross, uh, run across other bad humans, mutants, things along this line. And as you do, as you kind of go along, you can sort of level up your character. You can start to increase your stats, get stronger. And uh, also you'll start to take on scars as the game progresses. And uh, you take on too many scars, then you'll turn post-human as well. And then you, the goal of your game will change to uh, actually being like the game itself. So your your goal will be to stop all the other humans from trying to get to the fortress. So scars are basically just kind of uh, mutations? Yeah, yeah. So what will happen is every time you get scratched, you'll get a card. And sometimes they'll say, just a scratch, nothing happens. But sometimes they'll say, mutated leg or... Uh, you know, super strength, or you get some kind of some kind of thing. And actually, uh, as you play, sometimes you get some really good combinations, and you become a really powerful mutant. Uh, so you can voluntarily choose after you get a few scars. You can voluntarily choose to mutate and try to stop everybody, uh, or you can uh, wait till the bitter end until you get to the uh, the very last scar where it's mandatory. So it's not just a game of race the other players. It's also a game of race the clock for the individual player who's running out their tether of being human, and then it turns into a game of fuck your neighbor? Um, you know, I always say that it's one of those where I think a lot of times when I play the game, it, it's hard to explain, you know, until you get a, a few um, plays under your belt, but what'll happen a lot is people tend to not help each other, right? They don't tend to trade bullets or food, and they see one of their opponents and he's just, he's just he got a bad draw, right? He got a couple of bad, really nasty guys and used up all his bullets. He ain't got any food. He's way back behind. And people will just be like, screw you, pal. And that's the worst strategy in the game because that guy will turn. <laughs> and when he turns, he's going to come after you. So you're always, at least in my mind, better off to trade with someone. Um, well, I was, I was thinking it becomes fuck your neighbor once you turn. You become, oh, you know, yeah, absolutely. You know, like it. But but um, what you just went into is actually very fascinating because 
Um, I like the idea that the game does not necessarily appear to be on its surface to have any cooperative qualities, and yet there is still... Uh, is it an unwritten motivation? I mean, is it is it intrinsic to... I didn't remember reading that in the rules, uh, that, you know, hey, maybe it's not such a bad idea to not let everyone fail, or let players fail completely because they'll, they'll the game gets harder. Sure. You know, and one of the things we wanted with the experience is one we wanted people to experience it themselves. Um, you know, for me, once you play it once or twice and you, you get spanked hard, you, you start to think about it a little differently. Because I've heard people say, oh, yeah, just pick a character with a great melee and just run as fast as you can and, right, move as quickly as you can, do as many encounters as you can, beat up as many people as you can. Uh, but I've played the nun many a times, and I've done a ton of mental challenges and picked up followers and had them do my bidding for me and, uh, you know, just kind of hung in the background and, you know, have won that way and been very successful uh, playing untraditional. And uh, I think that's the key. What, I, what always keeps me bringing me back to playing it, um, you know, I've been playing it on the convention circuit for almost a year now in, in some capacity. Uh, demo capacity, early playtest capacity, production proof, and uh, I, I play a different character every time, and I play a different strategy, and I, I've yet to find one that I think is the killer strategy. I, I, I tend to enjoy every time, you know, every version I play. Well, that that would be a weakness. I mean, if you had, oh, this character, you take him every time, and I have that. That that actually sounds like a terrible weakness for a game. If yeah. you haven't been able to develop, you know, if there's there's somebody who didn't end up accidentally weighted in the mechanics um, as being, uh, and it's tough. That is a tough thing to do in a board game is to create uh, these these pieces, you know, in the in that is say a board game in the sense of say Talisman or um, uh, Arkham Horror or any of these things where you build a character, you know, sure. during the course of the game. It's really tough not to accidentally have the math come out. You know, and the gameplay come out to favor one or the other. That's a tough call. If you guys have been able to get it, so you haven't been able to find one, that's a really good recommendation to me. Well, I appreciate it. I mean, I I definitely agree with people's assessment that the melee characters, on the surface, appear to have a better path. But I, you know, for me personally, I find that a challenge to try a character that's not heavy in melee and see if I can, you know, kind of unravel the other depth of the game. And for me, um, you know, that, that becomes part of the challenge too. Uh, you know, and, and with anything, I've seen a character, you know, I've seen somebody play in a game where they take a melee character and they just take off running and they get an incredible string of luck, you know, really, really good rolls. There's no way you can stop good rolls. The guy just makes all of his rolls, makes all of his rolls, knocks out all of his people, you know, it's going to happen. But I've also seen melee characters who don't get very good rolls and who turn post-human very quickly. Um, so I find that the game rewards safe play, like incremental, you know, going out there and kind of testing the waters as opposed to running. But, you know, your mileage may vary, right? Some people will find that the running approach works for them. Uh, it really depends on the group and knowing the people you're playing with. So when I play with my friends in my game group, um, you know, that we've played multiple times, we play differently than I do against people at a convention. Which, for me, playing at a convention, you're playing with people I've never played before, which is kind of like how it would be like if I was really surviving. Right? 
how do I do I really trust that guy? Do I really know he's going to work with me? That's what I dig about the the immersion for me. Now, well, a question about you know you said the players. Now, the game is designed to be with the, with the expansion, so you you can either play this with up with one player or six up to six players, correct? With the, with the expansion, correct. So so this can be a solo game as well. It can. It's a very challenging solo game. Um, it, it's it's not very forgiving. Now that one does go against a clock. So you got you have a deck. You shuffle in the fortress card. Um, you know, and you've got X amount of turn uh, to make it. And you know, it's race, race, push. And you don't have a lot of time to screw around in that one. Uh, that one you have to take some risks. Uh, just just the odds are right the way the fortress card is going to come up. It's staged in the deck. It's uh, you know, it's not going to come up within your third or fourth turn of a card, right? But it is going to come up, and you can see it coming, and you know, and you just have to kind of uh, plan a little bit better for it. The solo game is very, very challenging. Um, cool. But you know, it, it doesn't have the train element. But uh, you know, uh, I think in general, there's still a lot of you know, it feels like an RPG to me, almost like a computer RPG. Uh, you know, I'm leveling up my character, I'm picking my skills carefully, and I'm plotting my path carefully. Well, um, uh, let me ask you a couple of questions about, um, uh, I, I, I kind of want to get into the mechanics, but I, I feel like that's going to sort of bury um, the people who haven't looked at the rules, so I'm going to try and, I want to try and shoot something out here that's a little more general. Um, now, I know you were the publisher, and the two guys who were the designers are named what for the audience? Uh, so it's sole, one person was the sole designer, Gordon okay. Kalea. Okay. Uh, and he's from Mighty Box Games, and they're based out of Malta. And uh, They're based out of where? Out of Malta. As in the island of? As in the little tiny island where most people have never heard of it unless they know Richard Hamm from Rado Runs Through, right, because he's also on Malta, so... Okay, um, this is a Maltese game. That was something I was not aware of, and I think that, I think okay. So the island that produced the Knights of Malta, the Falcon, uh, a brilliant resistance against the fascists in World War II, and then this game. That's that's Malta. That's that's who we got. That that's my interpretation of Malta. <laughs> and they have good beer. So so let me let me tag on to that then. So since uh, they created uh, for Mighty Box Game. He created the game. Can you tell us anything about what inspired him to cr uh, to, uh, to the, create the game? Do you know? Do you know anything about uh, a little bit of his background on that? I do. You know, Gordon's a pretty talented guy. He's been doing lots of different things. Um, he uh, had, you know, ran lots of different campaigns, a role player, and just was a big fan of the genre and wanted to do something in it that wasn't zombie related, kind of take it more to a different, more about the survival itself. And then also the guys at Mighty Box are uh, app developers, you know, so they're working on digital things. And uh, Posthuman started out as a digital game. And they had been putting lots of time and effort into making this digital game. And one of their friends uh, suggested, hey, you know, you could probably turn this into a tabletop pretty easily, and I think it would be very successful. And uh, that kind of turned to them shopping it around because, you know, they're app guys. So they're, they're like, well, we don't know how to make a board game. Uh, we'll, we'll look for some help. And so they kind of uh, put the bug out there to a few uh, rather large companies who I think, I don't know if it was 
bad timing or not in their portfolio or whatnot. And uh, luckily for me, uh, one of my uh, buddies at one of these other, um, you know, media sources or whatever had mentioned, well, hey, we know Sean, right? He, he loves working with people and uh, he might be able to help you guys out. And they contacted me and I uh, looked at the game. I fell in love with it immediately. And I just, you know, I said, if, uh, if you guys aren't going to do this, I'll sign it outright and just, you know, do it on my own. Um, or I'll be happy to be involved in any capacity. I'll help you guys however you want to do it. And uh, so then we decided to, um, you know, work together. So they uh, they helped quite a bit. They were um, very, very helpful during the campaign. They, you know, provided all the artwork and things of that nature, lots of the playtesting and, and development. Uh, and along the way, I would play and just make little feedback and, you know, little suggestions to them. Uh, hey, this is really difficult. Um, what about this? What about this? And then, you know, they would go in and test it and say, yeah, you're right, that works. Or, hey, no, that didn't work. And uh, the game just progressed from there. And uh, everybody was really, really happy with it at the end. And then uh, we put it up on Kickstarter. And I remember we set an internal goal, I want to say maybe 25000 20000 something like that for the game. And we had planned stretch goals to fifty, maybe. And uh, I asked those guys in your wildest dreams, you know, what what does this thing do? And they said, well, if it really picks up and people really get captured by the universe, man, maybe maybe we could do a hundred thousand. That's pipe dreaming, right? Like, and I was the same way. I was like, well, let's let's stick with our fifty thousand in stretch goals, right? It's hard to make money on Kickstarter, and um, it's not very many yeah. games. You, know. you very easily get into uh, a stretch goal um, creep. Like mission creep, like you just you know, um, and there's sort of an expectation if there is excitement about the game that you're supposed to just keep adding, you know, uh, stretch goals if you hit a certain number. And I, I just think people get carried away with that. It's very easy for oh, a developer yeah. to keep to keep adding things, you know, especially since if you're adding things during that 30 to 60 days of Kickstarter, you really haven't planned. You know, sure. if you get surprised and you've only got, well, I got three stretch goals, you know, that'll be fine, and it blows up, and you start adding stuff willy-nilly, that's where people get into trouble every single time. Well, because yeah. well, in a lot of the problem is the Kickstarter people demand, like, you're making so much money, why are we getting more stretch goals? Because it costs more money. It shrinks. Yeah. You know, just because we're making all this money, that means that many people are buying the core game, it doesn't mean that it's all extra floating around money, you know, yeah. so, because that, that's what I've, I've always found to be uh, one of the challenges with the Kickstarter seeing is that uh, people really, uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll give that, people don't really understand the cost of manufacturing. They don't understand the scale, what goes into the scale of manufacturing, especially on small production runs, okay, because you're, you're not, this game, you weren't producing a Monopoly game. You weren't producing 500,000 copies, a uh, million copies, and getting them for pennies a game. You know, you were producing... How many, how many units did you produce on this, uh, Sean? You know, when we did the... Uh, when we set everything up, we were planning on, you know, 1,500 to 3,000, and we had 5,400 backers. So, you know, instantly we were like, well, we're doing at least 5,500, right? <laughs> like, and then, um, you know, we invested in doing some more because we, we had a good feeling it would do well at retail and whatnot. So I think we wound up doing just, just shy of 10,000 on the first print run. Nice job. Nice yeah, job. It was crazy. Uh, it was a really awesome uh, situation to have. But, uh, 
man, <laughs> all kinds of uh, all kinds of pitfalls and and uh, issues that that arise with doing that many um, prints and shipping that many orders for sure. Yeah. The only thing worse than having a Kickstarter fail is to have your Kickstarter succeed. Yeah, yeah there, there's some truth to that. So now, um, when you were talking about the creation of the game, you talked about uh, not wanting to do it. Did, they didn't want to do a zombie game. So that would kind of lead me to a question I was kind of thinking of. Well, why did they go with a post-apocalyptic theme? And you kind of touched on that a little bit, saying they were looking more of a survival aspect. Yeah. So yeah, can, you can you elaborate on that a little bit more, or is that was that basically what their thought process? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's just basically what Gordon had told me. That was kind of a genre he liked and, and kind of a situation where he wanted to go. Um, he was a big fan of RPGs and kind of, uh, you know, storytelling and things along those natures, and he just thought that would be a good backdrop, a good arena to tell a story in, and just a fan of the genre. And, uh, you know, I was really happy with the, the picture he painted. I think it's... It's really good, and um, you know, I kind of mentioned originally it came from an app. Um, so I'm going to give you guys, I'm going to drop some uh, some super important news on you guys, like literally, totally un uh, unsolicited, right? Um, the boys at Mighty Box are in the process of uh, they're about ready to start their own campaign here in maybe a week or so uh, for Posthuman Sanctuary, which is a digital. Which is the digital version of Post Human? Nice. I, I have very because I was going to ask you that question, Sean, because you had uh, dropped a hint of that in one of your updates on on the on the Post Human Kickstarter project that they were looking to do a digital game as well. And you know what? Now, because you've given us a history of the game, it all makes sense now. It started off as a digital game, went to a board game, had success. Now they're going back and making the digital game because I know some of the people on were kind of like kind of uh, poo-pooed it a little bit, but I I'm looking forward to seeing the digital version of it, and that's very exciting that they're going to be launching that uh, soon. So it's basically it's going to be the board game, but in digital format, or is there going to be some differences to it? You know, it's gonna be, it, it is going to be different. It's going to have similarities, but it's, it's different. Um, I've gotten to see a little bit of, like, sneak peek kind of things on it. What I can tell you is it reminds me of the Telltale games, the Walking Dead ones. Uh, to a certain degree, so there's some storytelling, it's got the tough narrative choices, uh, but then it's got some interaction to where you can do the combats, uh, and it's, you're going to see similarities of you're going to roll the blue dice and the red dice when you're shooting at each other, and, and things like this, right? So you're going to have encounters along your way on your journey, and it's going to tell a story. Um, it's pretty slick. It looks pretty slick. So you're gonna far. save a lot on. You're gonna save a lot on shipping. Let's just say this, that. Right this on. one we're going to save a lot on shipping. Um, <laughs> you know, well, so yeah, like, well, I know the boys are very very happy over there. The guys in in Malta are are a super amazing machine. I mean, uh, their digital talents are are bar none. Fantastic. They were amazing to work with. Uh, they did an amazing video for the game. They were super pros all the way through the process. Um, you know, I'm just happy to be a part of the post-human world for them, and uh, I'm super excited for them for the app. For me, really, as far as the app goes, I have basically no, 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 no dog in that, you know, no dog in that hunt. I guess um, I'm just kind of cheering from the sidelines because I'm it's a fan of the game too, and uh, I'm just happy I get to do the analog version, and uh, I, I can't wait to see the digital. Now, they are working on a um, digital app as well that should be done 
here in a few weeks, actually, for the character sheet. And that's one of the stretch goals we unlocked during the board game campaign. And so they'll do a digital app where, um, where basically a, uh, a guy could build their character, like a custom character. Yes. All right. I saw that as... And I got to tell you, that was, uh, that was a really sexy option. Uh, in the game, uh, custom building your characters, only because, you know, um, so many of these games that, that run on a play piece or that, that is actually a character, that is to say, uh, you know, and, and I think of, again, the, the very first one was, I guess, Talisman. Sure. Uh, but, you know, all the way up through uh, Flying, Flying Frogs games like, uh, you know, uh, Last night on Earth and Fortune and Glory, those things they've done. The first thing, the the first thing that the the fans want to do is build their own characters. And if you go to Board Game Geek, you know those things are filled with where people have have repurposed the, uh, you know, the art and built their own new characters for the games. You know, uh, statted up these things. The idea that you provided a mechanic with balance, you know, for the for the players to do that is just awesome. I mean, I, I think people are going to appreciate that. Thanks, man. I, I appreciate that. I think I think people are going to dig it, and I, I personally am looking forward to the app because it'll have all the choices, right? It'll know all the rules, how many points you can use for character creation, all that. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, I, I'm looking forward to it as, as well. Again, I know it was a, it was a mixed bunch on the Kickstarter. Some people are like, no, we don't want that. No, I don't want digital. And some people are like, I'm so excited for it. So, again, I saw a very mixed reaction uh, on the Kickstarter to the app. I'm I'm one of the fa- I'm one of the people who was in favor of it myself. So, I'm like, yes, I don't mind the the uh, combination of digital uh, with the board game because I'll basically just you know put that little t- put my little tablet on the table. There's my you know there's the uh, you know there's my sheet. You know, makes yeah. everything. Yeah, uh, having the, the movement towards having digital, uh, digital record keeping, and digital logistics for your board game, uh, is something that's coming along nicely. Um, Flying Frog had some of that going on with their Golem Arcana game, where they uh, they basically created something like a Mech Warrior, <clears throat> except that your your iPad keeps track of all the percentages to hit this area. You don't have to do the math. You right, know. that was Hairbrain, right? Hairbrain. Yeah, that was. Yes, harebrained schemes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I, I, okay. Were you were you a backer for that by any chance? Yeah. No. Absolutely. I just we I we were talking flying frog and you mentioned flying frog and I'm like wait I thought harebrained did no that was harebrained I, if I said flying frog twice I'm dead wrong there are a fair number there's a fair density of game companies in the Puget Sound area and they oh absolutely they all start to look the same after a while it always cracks me up too when when we're going through like um, reports or we're setting shipping logs up or whatever, and I'm getting stuff delivered to my house, and I'm looking at the logs. And, you know, a lot of these companies, we all know each other, and it's just it's kind of like automatic, right? I see a new, a new game come up from certain companies, and I'm just like, click, click. I don't even, you know, I'm not even really looking at it. I'm just like, oh, they're making it, click, done. Um, and, and what's cool is they always reciprocate too, you know, and... Uh, yeah. It's just it's it's a really cool uh, feature. It's a really cool way to stay up to date on games. You yeah, know? that that is another aspect of Kickstarter. As much as we might complain about things like you know um, uh, stretch goal creep, uh, being aware of what's in the works, you know, and the buzz that is created, you can't beat that for Kickstarter. No, well, no, not at all. Well, well, also it's enabling the small guy who has the good idea to get it out there. You yes. know. 
like the individual person who couldn't necessarily do it on their own uh, put out there. Like there's a Kickstarter uh, I, I backed for uh, what the hell is that game? Uh, Rise of Cthulhu. It was that two-player uh, card game. I love the game. It's a nice, quick, easy two-player game. Uh, and I don't think there's enough two-player games out there because a lot of people you know, don't like two-player games. But you know what? Sometimes you don't have a group of people. You just got two people. Sure. Uh, but I don't think this guy would have ever been able to do it unless he did it through Kickstarter. You know, now he's just he successfully launched it. He did a second print run and he launched it through Kickstarter. And now he just really, he just launched his um, an expansion on Kickstarter for it. Oh, very nice. Yeah, we're we're in the same boat. I mean, when I I've been doing Mr. B games since 2005, just self self releasing my own games. Um, you know, and then I went to work for a, for a bigger publisher for for several years, but you know, shy of a decade or whatever. And uh, I've left because I just saw the Kickstarter phenomenon. I just thought, you know, banks aren't ever going to loan me this money. This is my opportunity. I know. No, they're never going to understand what the product is. No, I mean, still to this day, they don't, right? I mean, I go into the banks now and do wires, right? And they go like, what, why do you have all this money in your account, right? And I tell I got it through crowdfunding, and they go, what, what's that? Um, oh, my God. Wait, wait, wait! Did you, you say it's not like you said crab funding. So you're you're up in Alaska doing some fishing. <laughs> well, you know, and so I I've kind of been back at this for three years now, um, with the emergence of crowdfunding. And you know, the first title I did, you know, we got a thousand backers, so I was able to go do a three thousand unit run, um, you know, which is great. Uh, second game did really well too. I could do the same. You know, I was in the same uh, position. My third and fourth games. You know, I got very small funding, um, 200 to 300 backers. So I had to go conservative and print, you know, the 1,000, 1,500 small minimum print runs. And um, they were difficult, right? It was hard to sell. And so I've kind of gone through uh, both sides of the wave, right? Had some early successes um, where we could do some bigger print runs and get some better costs. And then I had a couple of games where we just, you know, we unlocked one stretch goal kind of a thing, no overfunding, had to do a small print run. They sold out. Um, you know, the game sold well. We didn't reprint them, and then a year later, people go, "How come this game's not available? It's really good." And we go, well, I, "I don't know, right? We tried, and uh, but we moved on to the next project." And uh, then we started working with studios. We did a project with the guys at Check Games, some friends of ours, uh, for their Dungeon Lords game, and it was a massive success. Awesome, really, really good campaign, and uh, that's kind of the genesis of working with other companies for us, we started kind of taking on studios. Um, you know, I started looking at it and saying, well, I can only do so many games a year as Mr. B, uh, but I can help a lot of other people. And uh, that's when, when the post-human guys came, it was like, yep, let's do this, because here's a game they've been working on for a year and a half, two years. It was already a video game, right? We could make that jump over to a board game. Um, the guys at Zero Games came to me with Helinox. They've been working on that for a long time. A um, couple of my old friends over from Eagle Games came to me, and they had some designs that they'd been working on. You know, and I was able to just keep going, right? Keep jumping in with some really, really good games, and uh, that's really snowballed for us and for the company. And really, honestly, it's all made possible, I think, because of Kickstarter. Well, I want to ask you a couple of other questions about the mechanics of this game. One of the things that I noticed that <clears throat> was featured in your mechanics that I hadn't seen in a lot of other games, at least not since Advanced Squad Leader, was morale. 
Um, you know, and again, that is an, that is another complicating factor to your record keeping. But I've always enjoyed morale as a factor in um, RPGs uh, or in lots of phone in my pocket ringing. I'm such a professional. Um, <clears throat> I, I'm going to mute no. right now. So, yeah, mute, you, everybody mute your phones before it's too late. Well, you but, just uh, were the one that got unlucky and got caught. That's all. Uh, yeah. But I was going to say, you know, um, morale is always a factor. I, I, I would love a mechanic to model as opposed to sort of like, you know, referee fiat. I'm always happy when morale is a factor because um, for both the players and the you know, the game itself. Um, and I, I, I really like the idea that you included that as one of the mental tests, you know, for getting through the various areas uh, of the game. That was just a, a piece of it that I, I was, was pretty impressed with. But I wanted to also ask you about your tiles, um, the tile-based uh, map, right? Because you, you, you lay out, you know, each one is, a, is sort of a surprise. Um, sure. Uh, yeah, because you, you lay out, you lay out, the, you have the tile, Scott, as well as the kind of the the track board as well to yeah. track your progress, along with also laying the tiles, kind of like so. I guess it kind of pans that look almost like a like a Carcassonne board almost, but not not so friendly, right? <laughs> yeah. So we use we always use the terminology of the main game board is kind of like the bird's eye, real high up view, like the you know the big giant map overview. So one space on the map might represent, you know, 20 miles of terrain kind of a thing, right? And then your own personal board, the little tiles, uh, is kind of like zooming in on the action. And it's still a big forest, like that tile represents maybe a day's journey to make it through or something along those lines, right? Um, so that's kind of, that was kind of the idea of the tiles, is that, um, you know, they're, they're kind of your road work or your path through, and once you solve a tile or you've moved, you know, some tiles take you several turns to clear, some of them only take a turn, and then you get to advance on the main game board, and that's kind of towards your overall journey. Uh, and that mechanic really works out quite well. It's got some nice, uh, interesting play in it. And so, of course, you can always just run willy-nilly into the next area and just draw a random tile, and that's what you have to deal with. Um, or you can go really cautious and scout each time you go, and then you get to pick the tiles and kind of arrange them the way you want, have a little more control. And uh, I know I see it at cons a lot, is a lot of times people underuse the scout action because it takes a whole turn, and they say, oh, well, these guys are getting way out ahead of me. And I just laugh, and I say, well, they're getting way out ahead of you, and they're painting themselves into terrible corners because they got some really bad tile draws, right, because they didn't yeah. scout. So it's just it's just a style, really, of how you want to play, and um, and of course with any game with a random draw or dice rolls or luck, uh, you, a guy could always get incredibly lucky and draw five really good tiles, right, and roll a bunch of really good dice. Um, but you know, as often as that happens, it also not happens. Yeah, so, he can he can also run straight off a cliff or into a, a swarm of mutants. There's no reason why he can't do that. Exactly. Now, uh, no, I was just going to add, it's like, so, considering, you know, the tiles and the map, mechanics that we're talking about, morale, um, what, what, do you, what, do you, do you see anything missing in, like, other post-apocalyptic type board games, uh, that maybe this game provides? You know, I, I like, I just, I guess I really like the way this comes together, I mean, other games have done character creation. Other games have done, you know, the level up type thing. 
I just love that this blends all of it together, right? It's got the combat, it's got the, you know, going in and kicking in people's teeth aspect, like, you know, so it's a little more than a zombicide, right? It's not just, you know, going yeah. out and racking up a kill track, right? Yeah, that's all zombicide really is. You don't get any, you don't get any advancement for, I don't know, using your head. It's well, that. right. Exactly, but I'm sure at some point they'll they'll go there, right? I mean, and that, that, there's a time and a place for that, and I, I find it quite fun sometimes to just, you know, stack them up and go. And then Dead of Winter really touched on kind of the the other part of it, right, the strategic part of it, to a point, right? But, but it was also very, I don't know, for me it was a little, their narratives were awesome, right? And that's what I loved a lot. And so for Posthuman when I played it, I was like, oh, they've got, the cool kind of narrative idea that was happening there. They've got the the fighting that's happening in a zombie side, but then there's also this kind of rewarded for cautious play, but then also a traitor mechanic, which is nothing new. I mean, Battlestar Galactica, the Fantasy Flight game, did the traitor thing brilliantly. Shadows Over Camelot did the traitor thing brilliantly. Um, so, you know, I started seeing all these really cool mechanics that I like in other games, that are the focal point of other games, but they were all a little bit in post-human in some some version of them. And to me, that's why I really, you know, what I really liked and what I thought were missing. Um, as far as the other post-apoc games, you know, I just, I, I really like uh, Jason Maxwell's and Richard Launius have got a Defenders of the Last Stand that's, that's really fun. Um, you know, but it's it's that one key struggle. It's the everybody protect the last city, right, kind of a thing. Yeah. And you got all these guys coming in, and it's it's that Mad Max kind of, you know, everybody trying to take out the last city kind of thing. Really cool, but it for me it doesn't have all the, all the other aspects that I see. You know, almost to a lesser degree, possibly post-human sort of reminds me sometimes of when I would play Fallout at, at times. Well, what, what, what game? <laughs> never heard of it, right? Yeah, we we Listen. never we we've never heard of it, and we never talk about Fallout on the show I, ever. I, I'm not supposed to look at, read about, or uh, play any Fallout until I get done with a Kickstarter. I'm in the middle of. Well, you well you <laughs> well, well, well you can't play the new you can't play the new Fallout, Scott. You don't have the the right machine for it. That's true. Which okay. is, but I also get run out and buy it. So uh. I am I am keeping my nose to the grindstone. On Horrors of War, and hoping that I, you know, if, if if nothing else, my desire to play Fallout will force me to finish the Kickstarter and make everybody happy. I hope. I have intentionally stayed away from it. I will eventually, when when all of my other projects are wrapped, which will be shortly, uh, then then I will go into a dark cave somewhere with Fallout Four. For I, I've had friends who actually scheduled a vacation. Uh, when when New Vegas dropped, that was they just they just took put in two weeks. Yeah, you know, I'm gonna be gone for two weeks. Where are you going? Vegas. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> you know, the boss understood that. Not only the boss would have understood. I'm gonna be on my couch, surrounded oh. by yeah like, empty pizza uh, boxes. Ball yeah, like, three was so amazing that I just I can't. And I see the stuff from four, and I just go. I, oh, four man. is three was amazing. I probably. Clocked in 400 plus hours on on three. Um, I didn't I didn't care for New Vegas. I don't know why. It just it just didn't it didn't it, it didn't click with me because it was Heretic. probably 
Well, because it was different. It was a different, uh, you know, different producer, I guess. But yeah. this, this one, this one, my wife's probably going to divorce me because of this game. So, uh, <laughs> so. But you and the game will settle down and live happily ever after. Yes, <laughs> but um, yeah. So um, uh, another quick, uh, short question. Let's make this a short. Uh, it doesn't have to be an elaborate answer. Is like. Uh, about how long did the project itself take, I guess? Well, you said it, 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 they were developing it for about a year and a half, the board game. So from the time you picked up the ball from the year and a half, what was the time for getting it, playtesting it, getting on Kickstarter, getting it produced, and getting it out there? How, you know, on top, on top of that year and a half development they already had, about how much more time did, you, uh, did that take? Uh, from the time we first started talking about it until the time we ran it, about three months. Wow. So about three and then, uh, then the Kickstarter, you launched it, uh, funded it a month, and then how long after close of the project till uh, 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 backers started getting them in hand? Uh, basically six and a half months, somewhere in there. Close, probably closer to seven. We that's have to... that's light speed on Kickstarter. Yeah, yeah. It's, especially no, not... especially considering everything that's here. You know, five yeah. pound five pound box. Mm. So. That's that's like, amazing. I mean, a lot of that is the credit to to Mighty Box. I mean, they had they had gotten the game so far down the road that by the time I got to see it, right, I was just like, this thing is ready to go, right? I mean, it was, <laughs> and, and 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 they knew it, right? Because well, they've been working on this app, and this was the right as they're doing app testing, they were literally printing these things out and playing it on their tabletop, right, mapping out things for their app before they programmed it. And somebody said, this is almost a board game, right? And, and then they kind of took that and started working on it. And then that was kind of the theory was, well, if we're really onto something here as a board game, then we do that first. And then if we go back to the app, you know, then maybe people will really dig it. And uh, I think it was just brilliantly played by Mighty Box. And uh, I, I really am. I'm, I'm super fortunate and very happy to have met them and very, very honored to be their partner in the USA. Excellent. So, that all being said, uh, just give us a, again just a, a recap of uh, or an overview of any what kind of, what kind of challenges did you encounter uh, with the, with the the Kickstarter production? Anything that was you know particularly you know odious or you know or even anything what you know besides you know just what was a challenge? What went really well for you as well to kind of you know let's make let's make that compliment sandwich you know so. Sure. No, you know, um, I'd say probably, you know, the campaign overall went well. The backers were great. Um, we got the files off to the factory pretty quickly. We got the proofs back pretty quickly. Um, you know, we hit some production delays. There were a couple of holidays in China that I learned about that I didn't know. Oh, yeah. That I, I, I knew of most of them, but there were a few I just wasn't aware of. And, uh, you know, those hit you for a little bit of time. We originally planned on shipping before Essen and debuting the game in Essen. It just didn't work out that way. We wound up air shipping some copies to Essen uh, because we'd already paid for the booth, you know, back in May kind of a thing. And um, that was a mistake, honestly. Um, trying to deliver copies to people overseas because we really thought the game, right, we had already... Our factory told us the games were on the water heading to the U.S. and the E.U. We had set up two different fulfillment warehouses. We ultimately ended up with four centers to help us mail them. But at the time, we had the, the big containers were going to two different facilities, and then we were going to break them up to the other two. 
and um, which which worked out great. That portion worked out great, but it was just this, um, you know, having it there at Essen and thinking like, oh, it, this is going to be here in a couple of weeks, and then you know we got hit in customs and got a little delay and got a little delay on the water. Things didn't get out of China the right way. A couple things didn't get booked on the boat. And then we got it into the U.S., and it was a little later than we planned, and then we were hitting the peak holiday season, which I always tell people, don't ever try to ship a game in December. It's just yeah. killer. <laughs> uh, and then we mm. sent a bunch of games to Canada, to our Canada Center, and they got held up at the border for a while, and we had a problem with DPD in Germany, where they had mailed out uh, maybe 100 games to people uh, that... They left them at local pack stations and were supposed to give them a slip to tell them you can go to this pack station and pick it up. And then they never left the people the slips. Oh, that's lovely. And then all of those games returned to us. And then all of those customers were going, where's my game? And I'm going, well, we mailed them to you, but they returned. So can you verify your address? And then people thought we were lying to them, right? Because they're saying, well, Cool Mini delivered me my game last week. And I'm going, well, I'm... We're a company of two people. Yeah, not please note cool that mini. I'm not cool mini. You know, right. I, I, first of all, yeah, I'm not Amazon. I'm not cool mini. Right. Something has gone wrong. Right. You know, and we just tried to explain to people when you hire a third party to do your fulfillment, you're still on the hook, right? So people were still posting to us, and they were saying, "Where's my stuff? Where's my stuff?" And I was trying to explain to them, "Look, they're eight hours ahead of me. I'm sending a request today. They yeah. already night where they are." They'll get their request tomorrow. They'll send me an answer. I'll get it, and it'll be a new day, and I'll send it to you. And we lose three, four days just that quickly, um, you know. And uh, and people would say, "Well, just ship me another one." And we'd say, "Well, but your other one is lost somewhere. We need to find it first, <laughs> right? And bring it home before we can mail you another." So those were probably the biggest challenges. Is mostly shipping related, and it really just boils down to you just you have to do your homework. You have to pick a very reliable I, I've been very lucky. I've never had anybody so far tell me they didn't get something and have it turn out that it was any kind of bullshit scam. I have never had anybody work me on a product and go, oh, I didn't get it. You need to send another one. And it turns out they were you know, just angling for a second copy or something. Uh, I've been really lucky that way. Um, I'd fall for it. Hello, Internet. If you try that on Beckett Publishing, we will probably fall for it. Uh, the first time. Anyway. I think gamers in general are pretty understanding and pretty reasonable people, right? I mean, they're um, gamers too, uh, and I think they're. You know. I'll, I'll I'll disagree with that a little bit, but uh. well, your your problem your problem, Jared, was Irish customers. Irish uh, customers. Irish. Well, I just remember that every time you had somebody freak out about the mailing costs. And then it accuse you, send you an angry gram saying that oh, you're yeah. clearly trying to make money off the packing and shipping. It was always somebody from Ireland who was incensed. Oh, with, it was it was, it was oh yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, Sean, because Dagon Industries, I make uh, Cthulhu, uh, Cthulhu Mythosine products, and for the longest time, I ran my own website. Uh, but then, long story short, I wound up not do, running my own site and having my online store through uh, a friend of ours' uh, web page and uh, one Mark of the biggest. Bizarre. Arca Bazaar, and one of the biggest challenges I came across, everybody was like, you're a thief, you're charging so much. I'm like, listen here, a-hole, I am charging exactly what the post office is charging. Yeah. You know, plus one dollar just for my time, effort, and, you know. The box. Like, and the box. 
you know, uh, I'm not ripping you off. You have a problem with the, with the shipping. Talk to the post office. Talk to your government about the tariffs. Talk to your, you know, it's like it's it's. But they made it to be like made it seem like that I was some kind of highwayman. Stand and deliver. Give me your money, you know. Or or lupins, you know, whatever. But yeah, yeah, like the. Yeah, oh, I, I already got all their lupins, you know. Yeah, every okay. once in a while. I mean, shipping costs are outrageous, and they don't get any cheaper. And um, I, you know, I try to explain to people anybody that tells you that they're delivering you a game for nine dollars anywhere, the United States, anywhere in the world, um, they're lying. If you can't, you cannot ship anything five pounds for nine dollars. Um, no, you're you're subsidizing that, and you're taking money out of the sale of your product to do that. And uh, we knew that going in, and we planned for it. But I think a lot of people don't know that and don't plan for it and I think a lot of people on Kickstarter get hurt by that and uh, it's very easy to do and I think it's created unfortunately a lot of people that truly believe that games are free to ship and um, you know and they're not especially when small publishers are doing it. Yeah. You, mean, you mean they're not? You know it's like yeah, again we had the same pride the same problem that people are like oh blah 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 it's like I'm a one-person show. This is a hobby business. I'm I'm not you know I'm not Hasbro. Okay. Well, one of my favorites is always the well Amazon ships it for blank, and I'm like, really? You're gonna compare me to Jeff Bezos? <laughs> okay. Um, the one of the things that I am uh, really excited about when it comes to uh, RPGs and the print-on-demand stuff is that uh, Drive-Through managed to figure out managed to create a printer on the European continent for their print-on-demand, uh, which I thought was a brilliant move so that they, you know, you order it in Germany, it's printed in, I don't know, France or England, and it only has that far to go. It skips it skips moving that half a pound or a pound book across the big water, and yeah. that is where all of the, that's where all of it hurts. Uh, their other option, their other outlet, I think, is a printer in Australia, and, okay, maybe it's not, mainland Asia or Japan, but that's still pretty good. That cuts off a third of the planet, <laughs> you know, getting your product to you. Uh, that is that is one of the most, uh, that's one of the things that just kills people, that we have a global market, but we do not have necessarily a, a global economical system for globally shipping our stuff uh, outside, uh, of, outside of PDFs. Um, uh, Sean, can you tell us, do you know of... Um it was it was uh, Greg, correct? Uh, the creator was it Greg? Gordon. 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 I don't know why. I, I've been thinking Greg this whole time. So Gordon, uh, do, just quickly, do you know of any uh, fictional or other board game inspirations uh, to, for the creation of the posthuman game at all from him, or it no, all I, came? I don't. Um, I, I'm sure he has some literary ones. I'm, I'm just. I personally just am not sure. Okay. okay. No, I just. I, I again. I didn't know what you knew on that one. Uh, but here's an important question because we've kind of talked about this. Uh, let's see, um, because you kind of talked about it. So, do you think that board games could tell stories as well as RPGs? I like, do. Like paper pencil. I do. I think theme plays an important part in that, and uh, it's something that I'm very passionate about in all the games we do. I want them to be highly immersive in theme. I want you to feel like you're set in that time period for the hour or two hours that you're sitting at the table. I want you to feel full immersion. Um, it's a huge part of basically all of Mr. B Games products, and I uh, hope to continue to always do that. It's just not that immersive when you're the shoe, the top hat, or the iron. That's very true. <laughs> but, um, you know, I wouldn't be here without that game. I don't think any of us would be without, without Monopoly, Clue, you know, Waterworks, uh, 
uh, Uno, Mealborn, all that kind of stuff from uh, the 70s, you know. Stratego. Stratego. Um, so, the, and uh, just, so, and also to tell the folks, so the, so the, uh, we talked a little bit about the mechanics. Uh, so the mechanics, a lot of the mechanics of the game, so we have a tile component. Uh, we have a tile mechanic for the game. We have a card component for the game. We have uh, even a board, like a board uh, part of the game. Um, we have lots of, you know, chits, um, people's encounters. So we have a lot, you know. So it seems like so probably a lot of the game is basically uh, the cards and the tiles are probably the biggest mechanic of the game. I would say, right? Uh, is that a fair assumption? Yeah, I would. I would say so. Okay. Yeah, you know, a lot, a lot of pieces. You, again, you get a lot of value. Now, the way the way the way the, the Kickstarter came, folks, was the Kickstarter has the core game, plus there is a um, expansion, the Defiant expansion. So, if you were part of the Kickstarter, you got both. Uh, now, uh, if you want to buy the game, you have the game itself, the core game, plus the expansion is available too. So, uh, now that I know that you know. Pretty much all the Kickstarter people have pretty much got their orders now, right? You don't have any more lingering, or um, uh, I would assume everybody's got their game now off the Kickstarter. So now you uh, should have it going. You, you have it going out to retail stores now. Is it in? Do distributors have it? So could somebody go out to their local store and get the game or buy the game? Absolutely. In the U.S., you could order it from any of your uh, friendly local game shops. All the distributors have access to it. And, would you uh, Would you name drop a few distributors just in case? Because I know people will go into stores to their brick and mortar and say, "I'd like to get this," and they go, "Oh, that that those guys don't have it." I've had people, you know, kind of get blown off by some folks who are just don't want to open up their buyer's guide. But uh, could you name a couple of distributors in the States or uh, in Europe where people could 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 reference their brick-and-mortar guy uh, to make those purchases? Sure. Alliance, ACD, GTS, PhD. You know, those are, you know any of those guys. Uh, and there's a few others as well, but, you know, any of those guys should be able to get it for you. Okay. Okay. So now, besides your local game store... Is it available? Uh, do people have it available online? Like, do you have it available on your website? Is it available on Amazon? Is who might online have? Say, so people don't say people don't have a local game store that they can't get to. Right. Can, can people order it online? Where could they do that? Absolutely. Uh, I've seen it on Amazon. You can definitely get it on Amazon. Uh, you can also get it at like uh, Fun Again, Cool Stuff. You know those guys. Okay. Uh, so extra a few of the other online guys carry it as well. But. So so all the so basically all the major players in the board game online uh, industry, you could get it from like you said, fun again, cool uh, cool stuff, Amazon, which is good. Okay, cool. Um, what is the uh, so, so folks know what is the retail of the core game? Sixty four ninety nine. Sixty four ninety nine. And what is the retail of the expansion? Twenty nine ninety nine. $29.99. Okay, so $64.99 and then $29.99. Now, um, I know the uh, app... So, yeah, you said it's going to be an app game that they're going to be doing, the electronic. It's going to be a, like an app for, like, say, uh, uh, an iPad or Android tablet, yep. you said? Okay. Yeah, and they, they'll, they'll eventually release it uh, both Google Play Store and the uh, uh, through iTunes as well. Okay, so it's going to be solely be an app. It's not going to be like on something you could get for your PC or your Xbox. It's just going to be an app game right now. Right now, they may do some kind of a PC where like you can play it like on a Steam type app. They may do that like as a an early download or something like that. Um, you know, in the beta probably. Okay, 
cool. Now, do you know if they're going to do, because you said that the electronic game is going to be a little bit different from the, the, you know, the analog game. Now, do you know if there's any intention to do basically a digital version of the analog game so you could like basically play it online because again you have these situations because it's very popular now all these roll d20 and all these other online game playing app, uh, like tools for people who can't get together do you know if there's ever if there's any intention to do something like that to where you could actually play the board game on your computer with like you know say people around the world because you can't you know say you don't have a group locally do you know if there's anything in the works for that or nothing that you know of? Um, we, we're, we've talked to a few people, but we don't have anything, you know, we haven't started down that road, um, but, you know, we are, we're at least looking into that option and trying to find people that can, uh, you know, potentially do that, that we can partner up with. Uh, it's something that we would definitely love to do with the game. Um, oh, yeah, because that would be cool, because, you know, I would love us to be able to do an episode of Podcast Akron Zero, uh, us all playing online. Yeah, so just, yeah, yeah, cool. you know. One other question I'd like to ask. Um, uh, would you ever consider, or is there any thought about going back and doing a Kickstarter to create uh, individu individualized minis for the Meeple? Yeah, you know, we have talked about that quite a bit. I know that was a, a thing during the campaign where, you know, oh, we yeah. went from the cardboard token to the Meeple. A lot of people thought we should go to miniature, and it was just the... To do miniatures is just such an undertaking. Yes, and, um, yes, and, I, I agree. Cost, cost is huge. Yeah, absolutely. So you know, we wanted. I, I believe that's in the future for posthuman. I, I think there'll be a miniatures, you know, some kind of expansion for this that will include miniatures. And um, I just don't know when that's going to happen, right? With there, with, there's so many different moving pieces going on right now with the studio. Understood. And, well, you know, uh, uh, but I think it's on everybody's radar, and it's definitely something everybody wants to do. I think uh, Sandy Peterson and his guys over at Cthulhu Wars made a really smart decision, scaling all of their game pieces at 28 millimeter scale. Um, so they, even though they built all these Cthulhu game pieces for the game, they were all usable as miniatures at standard, you know, sort of fantasy gaming scale. So sure. the miniatures people signed up for it. They could have given it, a lot of them just could have given a crap about the cardboard box with the rules in it. All they wanted was a giant pile of new, interesting miniatures to paint, you know, uh, to add to their collection. And certainly if you scale your miniatures to whatever the, you know, 32 or 28 millimeter, whatever the standard, you know, fantasy and, uh, and uh, skirmishing size is, you might, you know, it, you, you might get sales from people who just want a post-apocalyptic miniature, you know. True. Uh, have no interest at all in playing the board game, but they'll they'll take you up on the minis. Um, uh, that's always an option to consider uh, when it happens. I hope it happens because uh, I do love a nice I do love a nice sexy playing piece. That's that's always uh, that that is always awesome when you can get them. And uh, one one more question. Uh, since you talk, Scott talked about uh, maybe doing a Kickstarter for miniatures in the future, is there any plans, or do they have developed or plan to develop any more expansions for the game in the future? Absolutely. So I think um, you know we've talked. I've talked with the guys at Mighty Box quite a bit. So I think the next plan is to incorporate the next expansion to work together with miniatures. So. You know, we'll do a, some kind of a campaign that is an expansion and probably miniatures. And I don't know if we'll do two different campaigns for it or combine it into one, but, uh, you know, there's definitely plans for 
what happens once you get to the fortress. And well, they, uh, they keep promising us that 3D printing is going to revolutionize the minis business. So, <laughs> you know, maybe you'll all, be the guy who gets to find out. Well, it's all the machines and the manufacturer become cost-effective, you know. Um, all right, so uh, we're going to wrap up. Uh, we've been on for about an hour. I know... Uh, Sean has uh, other commitments he has to go to, but uh, again, folks, we had Sean Brown from uh, Mr. B Games, uh, the co-producer of the post-human uh, board game uh, we've talked about. It is a post-apocalyptic board game, cooperative to an extent, but also cutthroat to an extent. Also, um, you can play one to, one to four players with the core. Uh, the expansion gives you additional five to six players to go along with that. Um, it is available. You could get it through your local uh, favorite, you know, favorite local game store, the FLGS. Uh, it is also available uh, online. Oh, what's he showing there? What, is, what did you just show there? Is that a promo card or is that something something I didn't get? <laughs> that is one of the weapons. I was just throwing it up there for anybody watching. Like, oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Pickaxe. Oh, I thought you were throwing something that I didn't have. I'm like, what, you bastard! You you engage the collector gene, and people get hurt. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, um, so X. So anyway, as I, I said, I have the game myself. I haven't had a chance to even sit down and play it yet, uh, but I will eventually, and I'll talk about it more on the show. Uh, but Sean, thank you for uh, being on the show. Like I said, I from the time this came out, I talked to you at Gen Con. I really wanted to get you on to share this and talk to the folks uh, that watch the show about this game because, again, there's there's post-apocalyptic stuff, and most of it, you know, is, like you said, is zombie stuff out there. So this is something different. So it's kind of it's very refreshing to get a different type of post-apocalyptic game out there, and I wanted to share that with all the folks. You know, we asked you some questions. So, again, thank you very much for your time. We really do appreciate uh, having Indeed. you on the show. Well, thanks for having us, guys. Jared, Scott, I really appreciate it. Thank you for your time, and uh, thanks for, for doing what you guys do, and uh, yeah, I really appreciate it. Excellent. Oh, by having you on the show, then we don't even have to come up with a topic for this, this show. I know. It was, it was easy. But, but. Saved us all the heavy lifting. Nice. Uh, uh, do, you, do you plan on being at uh, Gen Con again this year, Sean? Absolutely. Absolutely. See you there. Now that the game is out, so are you guys going to have uh, a scheduled events for the game as, as well? Yep, yep. Oh, cool. very nice. Old Origins and Gen Con. So. Origins and Gen Con. Okay, yep. very, very good. Okay, so, folks, this has been Podcast at Ground Zero, Episode 54, the post-human board game. I, the Apocalypse Nerd, Jared Wallace, Sean Brown from Mr. B Games, and Adam Bomb Glancy, thank you all for being with us here. Thank you uh, for spending your evening with us. And again, if you're watching it on the video uh, or later is the audio, again, thank you. Uh, we'll have another show planned in probably you know about two weeks or so. We you know try to do every two to three weeks. Uh, I got some ideas for another show. We may come back to uh, me and Scott have been talking about getting some of the creator, maybe with the creator of the Twilight 2000 game, on to talk to him. Um, Scott, I've also had, I've also had some people pinging me lately, some recent followers asking me about, when are you going to come back to Gamma World and talk about Gamma World stuff? So we may have to come back to Gamma World. And, may have know, to? <laughs> yeah, uh, and I, I'm totally opposed to that. I don't really want to ever... That's going to be a twist for you to, to have to talk about Gamma World. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't want to talk about it at all. Yeah, I, I hate that game. It's disgusting. But, uh, so well, again, <laughs> are you sure? Can you handle the additions wars? 
Uh, yeah, I yeah, I can handle that. Uh, I've mastered that. So again, no, I, I would be I would have I would be totally tickled if we could figure out you know uh, go dig around and figure out find the guy who wrote Legion of Gold or something and bring him on. So, yeah. all right, folks. So uh, Sean had to sign off, so he said goodbye because we're rambling. So yeah. So for Sean, for He's Scott, podcast background zero. Thank good you night. and good night. <laughs>